Welcome to SonaCast, a podcast from the team at Sona Nanotech Inc. Sona's unique gold nanorods will power next generation diagnostic devices and medical applications. In every podcast, we seek to learn more about our industry with expert insight and special guests. Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of SonaCast. In this podcast, made over the course of a couple of recordings, we go back to basics on lateral flow with Sona CEO Darren Rolls. We discuss the origins of lateral flow technology, how a lateral flow test works, and what its components do, what the technology is used for today, and what the future holds. Hello, I'm Darren Evans, Sona's Head of Communications, and I'm here with Darren Rolls, Sona's CEO and President. And today, we're going back to basics. We're talking about lateral flow, lateral flow immunoassays, lots of different names for the technology. But we're really going to be talking about what it is and how it started and what it's become. So first of all then, Darren, because you've worked in this area for a long time, could you tell us what is a lateral flow test? Sure, thanks for having me down. So simply, a lateral flow test, they're simple devices that are intended to detect a presence or an absence of a target analyte in a sample uh, without the need of specialized or uh, costly equipment. Okay, Okay. can we define what an analyte is for somebody who might not have a science-y background? Sure, like, so the most simplest form of a lateral flow test is a pregnancy test. Yeah. Right? So the analyte in a pregnancy test is a hormone called HCG, and they detect the HCG levels in urine. Um, so I'm sure listeners are familiar what a pregnancy test looks like and, uh, and how it operates. As I just mentioned, the Humboldt pregnancy test is what most p- people are familiar around uh, for a lateral flow test, but there's lots of different areas, um, markets that where lateral flow tests are used. Uh, predominantly, they're in clinical testing, you know, things like to detect infectious diseases, Ebola, Zika virus, HIV, TB, flu, sepsis, hepatitis, lots of sexually transmitted infections. Beyond infectious diseases, other areas, things like cardiac markers. Uh, there's a whole raft of different cardiac markers that are being used to de- be detected by lateral flow tests, troponin I, troponin T, CKMB, D-dimer, etc. Um, animal and veterinary diagnostics is a huge growing market. Um, again, doing almost clinical testing for your companion pets, your dogs and cats, and this particular uh, your feline viruses and um, Giardia in dogs, for example. Um, but also veterinary um, diagnostics you know, with animals that are in the food chain. So things like foodborne pathogens, E. coli, Salmonella, Listeria. Um, as well as things like bovine TB, um, and a uh, huge problem at the moment in China um, around um, you know, swine fever, for example. Um, which then, you know, obviously moves into the whole food chain, the food safety chain um, area. So as I mentioned around you know, different foodborne pathogens, um, not necessarily just in the food, but also in the areas where those foods are being processed. Um, and then environmental testing as well. Um, you know everything from you know laboratories and process, you know food processing plants, but also things like you know mercury in water, um, bacteria in aeroplane fuel. Uh, there's, there's a huge raft of things. There's such a, a diverse section. There's also other growing areas. I mean the legalization of cannabis around you know di- different states, different countries. 
nowadays. Um, you know, that's really driving an input into drugs and abuse assays that are being um, worked on uh, to determine you know, those differences between someone being impaired and someone being not impaired, especially around cannabis use. Um, and then the whole explosion of health and wellness markers you know, for individuals um, wanting to know whether people are stressed, um, you know, looking at people's recovery uh, with regards to uh, you know, exertion uh, within you know, special, you know, trained athletes, for example. Um, you know, those, all those tests that I've just mentioned, you know, they're predominantly used in places like hospitals, healthcare clinics, diagnostics labs, um, but also there's a lot being used out in the fields, um, you know, whether it's in agricultural fields or uh, you know, out doing environmental testing, um, but also you know, at home as well by those uh, you know, non-medical professionals. Okay, you talked to us earlier about the origins of the lateral flow technology that most people will be familiar with is the home pregnancy test. And let's talk about how a, a lateral flow test actually works then. So people will be familiar with the pregnancy test. They, you urinate on a stick and then a couple of minutes later you see a line or two lines telling you that you're not pregnant or you are pregnant or more increasingly these days you'll have a digital reading saying pregnant and even by how many weeks. Um, so people will be familiar with that, but can you describe actually what's happening in that process from when the sample is, in this case urine, put on the pad to the lines showing up? What What is happening in that mechanism there? Yeah, I mean, without trying to go too far into the science around yeah. it, um, you know, the simplest way to, really, it basically works by uh, you know, antibodies or antigens present in a sample. So the sample in this case is urine, yeah. okay? um, and that's being detected by a label. Uh, it's typically a gold nanoparticle, uh, which is you know, red in color. Pregnancy tests predominantly use latex particles, which are blue in color. Okay. Um, you know, and everybody's familiar with brands like um, you know, Clear Blue and so on, and, and that's the reason why. Um, you know, but we can go into, you know, there's a whole different area around labels that we could talk about uh, you know, another, another time. But basically, what it does is that label uh, captures that antibody, um, and that matrix then um, gets kind of caught on a substrate, so on the actual strip itself, um, which is typically nitrocellulose membranes, right? Um, and that's captured on there, and then where it's captured, that's what then produces the blue or the red line or whatever color uh, label you have in your system. You know, and most tests typically detect one, mm -hmm. one analyte. Um, so in this instance, it's HCG in urine. Um, you know, and then they also have a control line as well. Um, you know, so it's detecting something completely different from your analyte, what you're detecting. So it's completely independent. Um, and then that typically shows up as a control line. Um, so for a positive test to work, you need to have you know, a, a reading at the test line, but then also a reading at the control line. And then typically, you mentioned about, you know, that's a simple qualitative test, um, simple visual, um, but nowadays a lot more digital interpretation is being happened so what it's doing is um, they're detecting the intensity of those lines turning that into a digital signal um, and then with some clever electronics you can provide um, a number of weeks or a smiley face or um, any kind of other digital interpretation we that excellent um, and we know that the technology has advanced and is advancing even further than that. But let's go back to the beginning and the history of the lateral flow 
test um, and as I understand it it was really first uh, properly developed as we know it now in the 1980s um, to test for home pregnancy. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and the development since then? Yeah I mean those kind of first tests that were involved in the 80s were typically born out of you know uh, probably a, a previous diagnostic test that um, you know that had been invented you know back in the 50s and 60s which was you know a better uh, way of testing for something than what they previously had now the, the test that was invented in the 50s and 60s believe it or not was based around taking uh, a female's urine sample um, and somebody who was potentially pregnant and injecting that into frogs right frogs Just, yeah frogs so just under their skin <laughs> um, to determine whether it, within three to twelve hours uh, you'd get a series of um, you know, bumps on the surface of the skin which would indicate that uh, you know there's a there's a higher level of HCG growth hormone there present um, and that was what the test was in the 50s and 60s um, which was a much better test than what they previously had um, but then someone kind of broke down the science of that you know through that period of time they that evolved and they started using rabbits and um, you know and, and lots of other different animals uh, to try and improve it and also understand the science behind it um, and then ultimately you know somebody kind of in the early 80s understood the whole you know human growth hormone aspect of things um, and then realized that, that they could you know, potentially capture that in, in this amino assay type format um, and that's how the first um, natural flow assays were born really um, and then those patents were filed around that time um, you know, there's a number of patents uh, you know across different groups you know fast forward 30 years later you know those patents uh, there was a huge court battles around different things and different ownership around them but they've all expired now um, you know kind of through the um, you know, 20, 2010 2015 or you know around that period they've all expired and then obviously within that time pe other people have granted new patents you know for different applications different designs and so on but the fundamental basis of an immuno assay lateral flow format uh, they've now been expired so which opened the market then for everybody else uh, you know, who wanted to get into that market space to, to, to be able to without the fear of litigation um, which has actually really exploded the whole lateral flow market um, you know many people you know, 10 years ago thought it was going to be its demise and they thought it would fall off the cliff and nobody would be interested and it's actually had the complete opposite you know and the growth of the market has, has really expanded over that time. Mm, wow, I'm, I'm glad that they decided to go uh, that route with the home testing thing. I can't see the, the frog <laughs> method kind of catching on for women <laughs> at <No>. home try, <laughs> uh, trying to test for pregnancy that way. Um, that's fascinating. I mean, what, you know, what a history. It's, you know, within, within a generation going from injecting frogs with urine to actually having a test that can tell you at home um, you know that you urinate on that that you're pregnant, and then obviously so much more, uh, so many more applications <laughs> that you've talked about before. Yeah, and you know, you, you, just that concept of being able to test yourself at home uh, with the pregnancy test when that first came out as well. You know, imagine that was a brand new concept, and for many years, even even when I was growing up, like I could remember. Um, that if uh, people were pregnant, um, that they would might they might buy one of these tests at the supermarket or the pharmacy and take the test, but then they would have to go to a GP and get that test confirmed by sure. a blood test. Um, but you know, ten years later, then 
they were almost that that process was non-existent again and um, everybody understood that uh, actually if, if you took one of these tests and it gave you a, uh, a positive result that um, you know you, that was that was typically meant that you were pregnant so this whole shift this paradigm shift of people you know, kind of testing themselves at home for different things um, you know it, it's well within the paradigm and, and, and in the mindsets of the general public So are other lateral flow tests uh, now commercially available over the counter, say for things like um, infectious diseases, or are those things still typically being done by medical professionals? Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, the uh, majority of those things are being done by medical professionals in, you know, in secondary care um, systems, but you know, there's definitely a shift happening for sure. Uh, and obviously, there's multiple reasons behind that. You know, things around burdens on healthcare systems around the globe. You know, even though different systems exist, you know, they they, they still have the same burdens in terms of they don't have enough staff to deal with the inquiries that they're getting. Um, you know, the costs that are associated with um, treating people in secondary care versus um, putting you know treating people in primary care, such as GP um, offices and you know um, you know community healthcare clinics, for example. I mean, some of the tests that have been made available over the last couple of years, um, you know, uh, things like HIV tests, for example, uh, that's, uh, you know, available now in the U.S. and, and it's just been uh, made available in the EU with CE marking. You know, uh, you know, and if there's a shift around kind of having these types of tests available that people could go and buy themselves, uh, um, you know, and take in, in the privacy of their own, you know, for infectious diseases like HIV then you know that's setting the precedent for other um, you know kind of even even you know serious uh, infectious diseases to, to have a similar kind of um, pathway um, you know so I, I envisage you know many more of these types of uh, tests being made available things like um, you know tests for hepatitis uh, you know and then uh, other types of infectious diseases um, you know that's just one example but um, you know I don't think these tests, you know, they're not meant to kind of be a complete diagnostic systems in any way. And obviously, everyone's advised that if you take these tests um, and there's the outcome is, uh, you know, a positive result, for example, um, you know, then obviously they're always, uh, you know, indicated towards, you know, seeking medical um, advice and help. Um, but I think, you know, certainly a shift within, you know, the next five years or so, um, I think that that'll become less and less common and, and then, you know, people will be able to take the results uh, from these tests, um, you know, as, 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 uh, as a true positive and then be able to um, act on that accordingly um, via technology that's given you an indication of, um, you know, the next steps on what you should really do, um, you know. There are other tests that are out there as well, uh, not just infectious diseases, things like allergy testing, um, you know, if, if you're allergic to things like pollen or um, different animal uh, salivas and furs, for example, um, you know, and, and health and wellness markers as well, they, you know, they're starting to emerge. Um, people want to uh, understand and know more about what's going on in their bodies and, and, and their health, um, you know, uh, so there's, uh, you know, there, there's still a lot of uh, work to be done in these areas, for sure. Um, you know, but, but, but those things are emerging. So we've talked a lot about urine because of the pregnancy test, but in terms of samples, there are so many other different materials, uh, biological and otherwise, that, that can be used now, aren't they? Well, for sure. You know, um, 
if you just take humans and animals, you know, the, you know, from them as a perspective, any liquid really that you can extract from a body, you know, can be turned into a sound. Um, you know, you mentioned you know, that's that's always talked about a lot. You know, it's, it's something that's easy to get hold of. Um, you know, we generate in an abundance, um, but that's got its own uh, issue uh, that you need to deal with um, as part of a sample prep. Um, you know, you can also use uh, blood uh, in its various format, so whole blood or um, as a plasma, for example, uh, where you remove the red blood cells. Uh, but again, you know, it, 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 all these samples um, have their own inherent um, uh, issues that you need to deal with as part of your development process. Other samples, maybe something like sweat or even tears, um, there are tests out there that utilize those. Um, so the growing area, you know, and um, one we've been involved in uh, recently is um, salivary diagnostics. Um, you know, again, it's, it's, saliva is a, a sample that we can obtain, uh, you know, from animals or uh, humans quite quite abundantly. Um, you know, and again, it comes with its own, uh, you know, kind of uh, barriers. Um, you know, but there are lots of technologies out there that can help with that uh, and kind of help you overcome with, uh, you know, what are those barriers associated with those samples. Okay, we looked a lot about the history of lateral flow, but let's talk a bit about the present because it's a, a huge market and uh, growing rapidly. Can you give us a sense of the scale of the market as it stands? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. It's a very big and growing market. And, uh, you know, it's a market that I got into uh, around 15 years ago. Um, and the size of the market around that time was around, you know, $1.5 to $2 billion as a whole. Um, you know, today that market's worth about six billion. Um, you know, so it's tripled in that time. Um, you know, and it's forecast to be you know nearly nine billion by 2023. Um, you know, so it continues to grow. Um, you know, on a, on a very rapid growth curve. Um, you know, the thing that's allowed that to happen really is the fall off of the patents um, that was associated with lateral flow technology. Um, and, and when once they all disappeared, you know, that, that the market really exploded over the last few years. Um, you know, last year alone, there was uh, anywhere between a billion and two billion tests made. Um, you, know, the, you know, figures vary, um, but certainly it just gives you a sense of how, how many tests, you know, how many of these types of tests are made on an annual basis. Um, you know, a similar level is being predicted, uh, you know, to, to occur this year. Um, you know, we talked in other podcasts about whether, you know, that's a sustainable way to go um, or whether we need to curb. Uh, you know the, the, that level of production, uh, you know, to, to to help reduce the amount of plastic waste that the industry is generating. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, you know there's many clever scientists out there that are operating in that space that are, are looking at and um, you know creating new material chemistries and materials that uh, that we can utilize in in the market in the future. Sure thing, and uh, I know you—that's something you're passionate about. You've written um, articles on that, and we've actually recorded a podcast on that very subject about um, sustainability. So it's definitely something you know that we're keen on, and we hope that others will be as well. Um, and actually, that brings us on nicely to the, to the last question because um, you, one of the things that we you suggested that could be done to reduce plastic waste is multiplexing, um, uh, which lots of people are considering as the future of this technology. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about multiplexing um, and, and why that is the future? Um, and also then talk about the different labels that there are, because that's also uh, part of the development of, uh, of lateral flow going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, so 
So multiplexing is, uh, you know, basically where you want to detect more than one analyte on the same test. Uh, you know, so, so, so for an example, um, you know, with a, a cardiac marker test, so if, if you're looking to, to detect whether someone's, um, you know, what type of heart uh, heart attack or heart disease that they're suffering from, uh, there's, there's various different analytes that you can test for. Um, typically, they're done um, you know, on an individual basis, so you might run three or four tests, for example. Um, and one way to obviously reduce that burden is to integrate all of those um, uh, you know, those markers onto one strip um, and be able to just run the one test. Um, a, obviously, that's less invasive for the patient, so it's much better, better much more beneficial. Um, you, know, you don't have to take multiple blood draws or multiple finger prick sticks. Um, but also then, obviously, it's got the sustainability aspect to it as well, um, you, know, uh, you know, in terms of reducing uh, you know, the number of tests uh, utilised. Um, you know, when you do start doing the multiplexing, um, you know, and putting everything all under one strip. Um, you know, it, it does have, uh, you know, it, it can have uh, inherent problems. Um, you know, you know, what happens if one of the components doesn't work? You know, uh, you know, or doesn't provide a positive result when it should have. Um, you know, do, does that mean the test is redundant? Um, you know, and, and whether you need to retake that test. Um, you know, so there's all there's a whole manner of considerations to, to deal with when when looking at multiplexing. Um, but everybody I talk to in the industry, um, you know, understands and recognises that uh, you know that that's the way the market is going. That's the way developers want to go. Um, you know, and so do end users. Um, you know, they want to be able to. Uh, you know, if they can detect more than one thing from doing one test, then you know that, that's certainly something that they they're very well interested in. Um, with regards to uh, you know some of, some of the different labels, obviously with multiplexing, um, you know when you've got multiple analytes on one strip, if you can easily identify which analyte is which um, through a simple you know co color differentiation, for example, um, i.e. one analyte might be a blue line, another one might be a red line, another one might be a green line, and so on. If you can do that, then obviously uh, user interpretation of the results um, you know is easier. Um, you know, it's a simple differentiation, um, and you know that's you know Sona's GNR. You know, our gold nanorod technology is uh, you know, is, is very well uh, adapted to do that. Um, you know, we, we produce gold nanorods in, in multiple different colours. Um, you know, that can be integrated onto natural flow strips. Um, you know, and, and to be able to allow that multiplexing, you know, that visual multiplexing. Um, technology to be to, to be realized um, you know and then also um, you can integrate those kind of technologies into um, you know op optical reader systems now you know reader systems themselves um, can utilize you know gold nanoparticles be it spherical particles or rods um, but they also um, you know, traditionally have been used for other types of labels like fluorescent markers for example um, you know uh, or quantum dots um, you know, but again, they, they have their, their, their own limitations, um, you know, around costs and, um, you know, portability and so on. Um, you know, but, it's, but I think it ultimately it comes down to, you know, the, the, the type of test that you're developing in terms of what label that you want, uh, you know, but there's, there's now a plethora of labels available uh, for lateral flow developers. Um, so it, it really comes down to what uh, that developer wants and, you know, that, what that end user really requires. Excellent stuff, and uh, I think the answer to both of those is probably um, lateral flow technology powered by Sona Nanotech's unique gold nanoparticles. <laughs>
Absolutely. Great stuff. Well, Darren, thanks ever so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Darren. Cheers. That's all from Sonacast this week. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. Also, make sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date with all the latest news and analysis from Team Sona. On Twitter, at Sona Nanotech. On LinkedIn, just search for Sona Nanotech Inc. And on Instagram, Sona underscore Nanotech. Team Sona will be attending various industry events throughout 2019, including the Lateral Flow course in San Diego, Medica in Dusseldorf and AACC in Anaheim, where we will be recording future podcasts. If you'd like to be one of our special guests, get in touch with us through any of our social media channels. Also, we would love to get your feedback on Sonacast, so please get in touch to let us know what you think or if you have any ideas for future guests or content.